I had this idea for um, uh, like a, a series of messages a while ago, but I've been really reluctant to do it because, because of my sense of humour and my personality type. Um, I've got the potential to actually be vaguely inappropriate with it. And um, it, it's, it, I've sort of struggled, uh, not struggled with it, but I've, um, I've sort of discussed uh, strenuously with God over the past few, few weeks. And actually, um, I really fully believe that, um, that this next, um, the next couple of times I get up to speak is actually going to be, um, it's actually going to see some shift in people. Um, it, might be, it might be challenging. Um, it might be provoking, it might be confronting, it might be stuff that you might not necessarily agree with, but actually, if you just hear everything that you agree with all the time, um, then basically you're just hearing a reflection of yourself, hey? And so it's good to hear different perspectives. Um, I, uh, I was going to... I was going to... Uh, I'll tell you what it's called. So this, um, this next few these next few messages that I'll be speaking are called, What Are You Wearing? Okay, and you can say that a whole range of different ways. It could be like, what are you wearing? Or, what are you wearing? Or, what are those? Like, there's um, all kinds of different ways that you could say it. Now, I don't know about you, but um, there's been some crazy trends over the years when it comes to clothing. Who's, um, whoever owned a pair of parachute pants or poo pants? Does anyone have some yoga pants running around at the moment? Um, any boys in the back? Do you guys do you guys own those pants that actually have the crotch that like stops a bit? Whatever, drop pants. You guys all you you own drop pants. Oh, Joe, are you wearing them right now? No, not out of style. Still in. It's still in. That's great. But there's been some crazy trends over the years. What we wear. You think about it, and you're like, oh my goodness, um, oh my goodness. Um, I am so glad that that's not the trend anymore. Now, you might be thinking where this is going is, okay, from now on, guys, we're going to wear head coverings in church. Okay? No, it's, it's, it's not that kind of thing. See, I don't know about you, but um, there came a certain age, and it was probably slightly longer than it probably should have been, but my mum dressed me for a long period of time. Um, and my mum was awesome, but she was a lady that was from Matara. She was a freezing worker. And so things that she found trendy, or things that she found um, um, acceptable, um, I used to get in trouble for. So she, uh, one of the things that she'd love is she'd love to give me novelty t-shirts, and they'd have rude sayings on them that I wouldn't realise were rude until I got told off at primary school. <laughs> they'd either have um, something that referred to body parts, or they'd have uh, actual body parts on it in some cases. Or um, sometimes it'd be phrases that I just wasn't familiar with, that it could have two meanings to it. Um, but she had this penchant for dressing me in quite weird things that she thought was cool. One of the things that she loved to um, dress her pastor's son up in um, was um, alcohol t-shirts. And so she'd quite often um, buy me alcohol t-shirts and think it was hilarious to give me these presents that I was never going to wear. Um, I, I remember this one time. Um, I actually got sent home from youth group one time um, because of what I was wearing. Uh, I, um, at the time, there were these things called skull and crossbones. Does, like anyone in their 30s remember the skull and crossbones range? Like, just Shan? Okay, cool. Everyone else is too, too, too young for that. But what it was was that um, basically they'd literally have... It was called skull and crossbones, and like in a sheer brilliant marketing strategy, everything had skulls and or crossbones on it. Like it was... Um, like they were all over. And I, I remember getting sent home because they weren't appropriate um, clothes to wear um, to youth group. And I remember thinking at the time, but these are my best clothes. 
I knew that I was supposed to wear my best, my, the best clothing, the best thing that I had to wear to church, and they were my best clothes at the time. I got dressed and I went, Mum, does this look all right? Mum's like, son, no, suddenly she's turned into an American, um, South American lady, son, you look fine. No, she's like, son, you look awesome. You look absolutely great. This amazing thing happened when I turned 12, though. I met this guy called Mr. Ferry. And Mr. Ferry was really great. He, was a, he, was a clo- he owned a clothes shop in Gore and eventually was the, um, the manager at Hellenstein's. And this is, this is my secret. It's not a sh- I'm not ashamed of it. The, the best, most classy people have tailors. And he was like my, the person that told me what looked good. And so what would happen is he would, he would literally dress me, which was great. Quite often my dad and I would get dressed in the same clothes because at the age of 12 I was literally the same size as my dad. Uh, to, to both of our senses of humour, like we both found that hilarious. And then I got bigger than him and he didn't find it hilarious anymore. But from being a tween, from being a 12 year old, um, to going to my first school ball, to going to formals, to going to my first teaching job, um, to actually for my, both my mum and my dad's funerals. Um, it was actually this man who dressed me. And, um, and it, was an amazing, it was an amazing thing. It was an amazing experience to actually have clothing that suited me, to have clothing that fitted me, to have clothing that people would look and go, wow, you look really good. But it wasn't actually my sense of taste or my dress style. I literally had a person who clothed me, and what he clothed me in was better than what I could clothe myself in. And that's kind of what I want to talk about over the next, um, next couple of times that I speak. Um, there's that old adage that clothing makes the man. And I think, that's, I think that's true. That being the case, might I ask, what are you wearing? Now, I've got to have a disclaimer. I was going to wear, um, I was going to wear like a dress up for each time that I got up to speak this kind of message. Uh, but the title of my first message is called Hanging Naked in a Garden. <laughs> Which I thought, uh, <laughs> maybe we'll just skip it. Don't even pretend, alright? Um, don't even pretend. But it's going to be called Hanging Naked in the Garden. I'm just going to do a wee bit of background, just, um, just kind of to set us up for the next wee while, and then I'll, I'll, I'll hopefully explain that to a point that you guys don't go, oh my goodness, he talked about naked people, alright? <laughs> See, the thing is, is we're all clothed with something. And it speaks to our identity and the way we want the world to see us. See, both in a physical sense, the clothes that we wear helps to identify, uh, helps us to identify the way we want the world to see us. Whether it's skate, whether it's surf, whether it's bogan, whether it's like your clothing actually, whether it's um, rural Cromwellian. Okay, what we wear actually identifies our culture and the culture that we identify with. See, in a physical sense, the clothes we wear helps to identify the culture we identify with and our geographical location. Now, I don't know about you, but this is a puffer jacket region in wintertime. Puffer jackets are the Queenstown uniform. Like, they, they really are. But in a metaphorical sense as well, in a figurative sense, we all have personas or identities. We all have stuff that we put on. Masks, if you will, that sort of help us 
It's what we present to the world. So does that make sense? So we can talk about physical clothing because that's a, that's a symbol of who we want to identify with. But we can talk about that figurative clothing as well, what we wear, what we put on, what we layer ourselves with, what we cover ourselves with. See, the thing is, is the reason that we clothe ourselves is because we want to belong. Now, I don't... For me, at school, if you didn't wear etex shirts and moleskins, you were not in. Um, there, there was a second option once I turned 16. You could buy Barker's pants. Does anyone remember the Barker's pants? Like these gay boys, they're these ridiculously long pants that never really fit. And the first thing that would happen is that you'd wear holes in the back of them. And so you'd have to buy another set of Barker's pants. But they're like 150 bucks in gold. Like it was, it was huge. But that was what you had to wear. But you'd, wear, you'd want to wear it and you'd ask mum and dad for it because you're wanting to belong. See, the thing that we need to understand and the thing that I've, um, as I've done some research is that clothing's actually a reoccurring motif in the Bible. Like, what people wear and what God gives people to wear is actually a symbol that keeps um, popping up. It pops up in the Old Testament, it pops up in the New Testament, and it's far more regular than um, we'd, we'd probably imagine. <coughs> so it comes up in um, both figurative, uh, figurative and literal ways. So I ask you guys again, what are you wearing? Um, whether it's Adam and Eve, who started off with nothing. Whether it was Moses, who started off with a stick and a stutter. Whether it were uh, Moses, who wore the clothes of both a shepherd, a traveller, and a pharaoh all in his lifetime. David, who, put, who tried on the king's armour. Joseph, who wore the coat that his father made. See, the thing is, is that um, the stuff that we wear, that God's called us to wear, and the stuff that we wear that God never wanted us to wear ever. And so the first one that I wanted to talk about was Adam and Eve. Because I don't know if you know the story of Adam and Eve, but when Adam and Eve were born, uh, not were born, yeah, well, okay. When Adam and Eve were... Hank created, that's a good way to go. When Adam and Eve were created, I don't want to alarm anyone, but they were naked. And the weather was controlled, and so they could hang out naked all the time. They'd walk along, they'd do their gardening, naked. They'd hang out with the animals, naked. They would look at each other, and they were naked. Okay? But the thing was, and this is the key, is that in Genesis 2.25, it says, Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, I don't know about you, but I've definitely felt shame throughout my lifetime. I've definitely felt shame throughout my lifetime. But actually, the original picture of humanity was two people hanging out in a garden with God, naked. And so that's what I want to talk about today. See, the thing is, is that God's picture for us was to originally hang out in the garden naked, not even knowing the difference between good and evil, not even knowing the difference about, being, about, about being what even shame or guilt or pain was. Innocent, ignorant, oblivious is probably a better word than ignorant, or childlike. 
See, the thing is, is that quite often in today's society, we see naivety, so being naive, being oblivious, being innocent, we see it as a character flaw, when actually God sees it as a gift that belongs to the innocent. Um, As a generation, so I I fully believe in, uh, I mean, we see our kids like this today as well, is that as a generation, we now value worldliness over innocence. Um, We're world-wise and we're God-foolish. We want to be in the know, but as we know in the story of Adam and Eve, that actually didn't work out so well for them. Wanting to know everything wasn't actually the best thing for them. So I just wanted to go through the story. So God creates this garden for them, and then he puts Adam and Eve in the garden, and they're hanging out naked together, and every need was, every need was, um, every need was um, given to them. Every need was supplied. There was no need because God would just give it to them. There was no, no lack, no hunger, no nothing. And in this garden, there was only actually, like, there was one rule. You can do whatever you like, but don't eat from these trees. There's two trees that you can't eat from. There's a tree of knowledge of good and evil, and there's the tree of life. Don't eat from those trees. That was it. We had one rule. We had one job. Don't eat from those trees. And of course we all know that man and woman were tempted by the serpent with the idea of knowledge. See, Genesis 3 verse 5, this is, where, this is the story that we're going to go into and I'm just going to read it out. It's in the New Living Translation just because I, I like that translation. It says, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, so this is the fruit, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. So it's a really good thing. If you eat this fruit, you will be like God. But the thing that we, that as humans we didn't understand was that God was actually walking with us. We were actually one with God. Like we, were, we got to hang out with him all the time. And so anyway, the woman was convinced, verse 6. She saw that the tree was beautiful. And its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit, and she ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. So just an aside, just something that I noticed, which is really interesting, it's like the pattern for temptation. It's got nothing to do with what I wanted to speak about today, and I might speak about it another time. But this this is what happened. So she... This is how temptation works in our lives, hey. She saw, so you see something, the object of your desire. She wanted, so not only did she see it, in her heart, I want to possess that. Then she took, so see, wanted, took, and so suddenly now she's committed the, she's committed the sin. And then finally it says she gave, some, uh, she gave to her husband. And so the interesting thing is, is that when it comes to temptation, you see, you you want, you take, and then you try and spread spread it around, spread the shame around. So anyway, when they become aware of their nakedness, they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Now, I don't know about you, but fig leaves are not a particularly good clothing uh, accessory. How do I know this? Because we don't make clothes from fig leaves anymore. How did they sew it together? 
like not well, probably with um, vines and animal stuff. So it's like you see the pic, you know, the stereotypical picture of Adam and Eve in the garden, and they've got like the fig leaf on the, like in the zones. But I don't know about you, but if all I had was fig leaves and some vine, I don't care how good a seamstress or seamster you are, how good a dressmaker you are, you ain't going to cover yourself well. And so sin comes into the world. And then there's this amazing, um, this amazing thing happens. It goes on to verse 8. When the cool evening breezes were blowing... The man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God amongst the trees. I bet you that's the first time they've ever, they've ever hid. See, that's one of the things that happens that when we wear shame, is that shame makes us want to hide. When actually what God wants us to do, and this is what we said, so God called to the man, where are you? See, we can be ashamed of stuff that we've done in our lives. We can wear shame like a covering. We can feel ashamed. We can be ashamed. And our first instinct is to hide from God. When actually what God's asking is, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? And Adam replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. It's quite interesting because God doesn't go, bad Adam! Awful Adam, why did you do that? His first response is, who told you that you were naked? The Lord, God, the Lord God asked. Who told you that you should be ashamed? Who told you that you should feel shame? Who told you? Who did it? Who changed your perspective of yourself? See, for a lot of us and for a lot of the current generation, they wear, they wear shame. I mean, like roast, roasting, is a, roasting is a thing. It's like I'm shaming someone out. In New Zealand vernacular, you can literally say, oh, shame, is literally something that you say when someone does something stupid. It's something that I've said this week to multiple people. Oh, shame, not like that. That just sounds like I'm being racist. But, um, but, but it is definitely, so- oh, shame. Like, that's definitely something that we've all said. But I've come here to tell you today that shame isn't something that God wants you to wear. It's actually something that we've put on ourselves. Um, John Piper, who's just this great guy that's got a really great um, depth of uh, understanding when it comes to God, it's like, well, how did, we, how did we know we were naked? What happened when we ate the fruit? And he, he says it happens in two ways, and both relate to the experience and the idea of shame. In the first case, we feel ashamed because we're afraid that people will see our nakedness. And, we, and because... The one viewing my nakedness is no longer trustworthy. I'm afraid that I'll be shamed, so I cover myself. In the second sense, I'm no longer at peace with God, but I feel guilty and I feel unclean and I feel unworthy. I deserve to be shamed. So there's two things going on. We cover ourselves with stuff that God doesn't want us to be covered with because we feel vulnerable. And secondly, because we feel like we deserve shame. And we've all met those people that see that. Uh, we've all met those people, and for some of us, we've, we've had those moments where we, we de- you've got that thought in your head that go, oh no, I, I deserve this. I deserve this consequence. I deserve to feel this way. I deserve to feel ashamed. 
God's response to Adam and Eve being naked, uh, now being covered in the garden, now being aware of their nakedness, his response is actually really interesting. And it's actually really similar to the way that a parent would um, discipline their child. And it looks something like this. So he identifies the consequences, but he does it with sorrow. Hey, because you've done this, our trust is broken. And as a consequence of that, you can't hang out in the garden with me anymore. See, God God in his graciousness, in the midst of our greatest mistakes, gave our identity back and gave our dignity back. He, he does this amazing thing. He says, um, so he tells us the consequences. So the consequences of what we've done are this. And then on to verse, in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 21, it goes on to say, And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. And I love that fact that in our sin, in our shame, when we feel uncovered, God covers us far better than we can cover ourselves. And I think that's actually the the picture and the thing. So even though Adam and Eve still had to live in a fallen world, God covered them as an act of kindness. He replaced their integrity. He gave them back their integrity. He gave them back their dignity. And he gave a way for them to cover themselves. Now, um, I'm going to tell you a story, and it doesn't go out of um, these four walls, okay? Oh, yeah. Uh, um, my first night at university was a really interesting night. Like, we shifted into the hall. And um, I'd never, like, I'd been to parties, like, wall shed parties and stuff, but I'd never really been in a really, like, apart from my mum and dad and all of that stuff, like, I'd never been in, like, a too many parties where it was, like, all 18-year-olds getting drunk together. And um, this first night, I was just getting ready for bed. And um, people, people were already sort of going pretty hard out. And I went into the, the bathrooms, which were unisex. And on the ground, there was this guy. And he, I, I'll just call him this guy. He's, he's a, a friend of mine. Um, he wasn't a friend at that time. He was the first, literally the first time I met him. And he was covered in his own, um, like, all of the stuff that you could think of of being covered in when you have so much to drink that you just lose control of everything. And so the first time I saw this guy, um, part of me actually wanted to like back quietly away from him and shut the door. Like, okay, we'll hose him off in the morning. Um, but there was another part to me um, where I saw this guy and he was in his mess. And like, even as like, I wasn't a really strong Christian then, but I knew that like, I couldn't leave him. And so as best I could, I cleaned them up. Um, I'm not going to go into the details, but I cleaned them up. I um, actually got him back to his bed. And to this day, he still doesn't remember what happened on that first night. Um, he remembers that there was someone that cleaned him up. He remembers that there was someone that put him to bed. Um, he, still doesn't, he still doesn't know who that person was. And I guess um, what I'm trying to say is that in our mess, in our stuff, God is that one who reaches a hand out to us in our, in, in our muck and cleans us and looks after us. Um, he gives us back our dignity. Um, 
I had another sort of example, which I think is kind of good, but um, you guys might disagree with, I'm not sure. Um, for those of you, put your hand up if you've got kids. Okay, so you guys have all been there. Put your hands up if you haven't had kids. This is not going to be a sex talk, just by the way. We're not going to go about all that. Okay, if you haven't had kids, I'm going to tell you a secret. Okay, are you ready? Now, okay, lean in. I've got to say it quietly because it's a secret, okay, and I don't want the kids to know. All right. Here's, I've got a secret to you. We're going to tear back the veil of parenthood, okay? You ready? Babies poop. <laughs> what, what do babies do? Oh, don't say that in church. My goodness, I can't believe you said that. So babies poop, don't they? I'm going to tell a story about Charlie. So Charlie, if you want, you can cover your ears because this is not a good story. <laughs> there was this one time at 2am in the morning and as the master, the master that I am, the great father, finally, finally I decided to take one for the team and change our newborn child at 2am in the morning. What a, what a champion, what a father. That one time, if I can name it, it's probably not a good example. <laughs> Anyway, so I cleaned Charlie off, but I made a tragic, tragic mistake. I cleaned her off, she was, like she was a mess and all of that stuff, and that was okay, so I cleaned her up. Anyway, have you ever put the nappy in such a way that you're like, oh my goodness, they're going to go again? But instead of like just quickly putting the nappy on, you kind of create like a funnel shoot type thing? <laughs> Charlie had diarrhea. And as we all know, just from before, unless you weren't listening in on the secret, babies poop. Shannon hears this scream. And it wasn't a Charlie scream. And it was slightly gargly. Like, and it was like, come and help me. Shannon comes out. And I have poop in my mouth. I have poop in my hair. I have poop all down my front. And I'm still holding Charlie in this sort of funnel type arrangement, you know, that created this sort of torrent of poop. But here's the thing, and this is the thing that I want you guys to take away from. I knew this was going to be inappropriate. This is, this is what I've struggled with. Here's the thing, though. I come out and I clean Charlie as a dad, and as an imperfect dad, I come out and clean Charlie. When she did it for the second time, I didn't immediately point at Charlie, go, Charlie, you're an evil baby. <laughs> I didn't draw, like, evil eyebrows on her so that she looked, like, slightly more evil and a wee twirly moustache and stuff like that. I didn't curse her. I didn't say to her, Charlie, you're an evil baby. You're going to grow up to be an evil child, and one day you'll be an evil human being. Because we don't curse babies. That's right. Because babies poop. Children poop. Young people poop. Everybody poops. <laughs> I am going somewhere with this. <laughs> this is the easiest picture that I can think of, of talking about God and the way that he sees us. See, that's who God is to us, is that he loves us. 
And I don't know if you know or not, but occasionally we poop on ourselves. We're covered in our own stuff. We're covered in our own sin, and sometimes we're not sure how to get rid of that stuff. And time and time again, what God does is he provides a way for us to clean ourselves off. Now, in the Old Testament, this is the really interesting thing. In the Old Testament, he actually gave us instructions. You imagine me going to Charlie as like this baby going, Okay, Charlie, (laughs) what you're going to do is you're going to get the wet wipe, and then you're going to wipe your bottom. Yes, you are. And then what you're going to do is you're going to get some talcum powder, and you're going to talcum powder that wee tushy. And then you're going to get your nappy, and you need to put your nappy back on, and then you know climb back up into the crib and put yourself to bed. We don't expect that of babies, and God doesn't expect that of us. So in the Old Testament, he gives us a way to clean ourselves off. There were these rules. And so if you could follow these rules, you'd know that you were, you were saved. You'd know that you'd be okay and in right relationship with God. The thing was, was that we couldn't do it. We couldn't do those. We, we, we actually couldn't do those rules. He kept boiling them down as well. Started off with 600. Then he went to 10. And then it was like, seriously, at the end of the day, if you can just sacrifice one goat, that's going to be the scapegoat for all your sins, for all of that would be good. And then eventually he made a way for us. Eventually. See, the thing is, is that for all of us, um, the Old Testament provides instructions, but Romans 8, 8, 23, as we all know, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So all of us have tried. We've tried to cover ourselves. We've tried to do it ourselves. And um, we've missed the mark. So to fall short of the glory of God, the the translation is we miss the mark, like, you know, like a, a bow and arrow. And we missed the mark. So we aimed for the target and we missed the mark. And so in the New Testament, God gives us one sacrifice for all sin, for all time. And when we sin now, when we, co- when we get covered in our, own, in our own stuff again, it's not a case of Jesus going back on the cross. Okay, Jesus, back up there. It's, that's not true. It was one sacrifice for all sin, for all time. So he's covered... The sin that you've done in the past. He's covered the sin that you're potentially currently doing right in your head right now. He's covered the sin that's still to come. Why is that? Because he loves you. He doesn't want you to be wearing shame your whole life. He doesn't want you to be wearing guilt your whole life. See, if you accept the Father and who he is, if you you accept the fact that Jesus died on the cross for your sins... What you're doing is you're accepting the fact that you're now part of God's family. You're accepting the new mantle that he's given us, the new, the new, the new name, the new covering, the new clothing that he's given for us. Yeah. There were king's kids. There were ears, not like ears, but like princes and princesses. That we're worthy. That we're loved. That we're accepted. That we're adopted into a rural household. That's why... When we feel shame for what we've done or we feel ashamed, he doesn't want us to wear that for a long time. What he wants us to do is he wants us to run to him and go, God, I'm so sorry I've done it again. Can you help me? Can you clean me up? Can you give me something else to wear? Because I don't want to wear this shame anymore. I don't want to wear this guilt anymore. I don't want to wear this, um, this heaviness anymore. See, the thing is, is that what that means is that the clothing, what we decide to wear, they're a witness both to our past and present failure and to our future glory. 
See, the thing is, is that when we decide to wear the fact that we're a sinner and that we need a saviour, what we're doing is that we're actually testifying to the gap between what we are and what we should be. So as Christians, I think there's actually, as Christians, I think there's a danger sometimes that we try and be perfect when we're not. I think there's a danger when we try and hold it all together when it's all falling apart. And so what I think we need to do is we need to be honest and wear the clothing that God's given us, which is, we've all sinned, we've all fallen short, but God's given us something else to wear. And so they testify to God's merciful intention to bridge the gap through Jesus Christ and the fact that he died for our sins. So I'm going to finish up now. I've just... Yeah, I'm going to finish up now. So everyone knows that's the five-minute warning. <laughs> I don't know what you've come in today wearing. Like, not, phys- not just physically, but spiritually. I don't know what you've chosen to wear. I don't know what covering you've come in. I don't know whether you've come in completely, you feel completely clean, or you feel like you're covered in your own stuff. But this is the thing that I've come here today to tell you, is that God is giving you something else to wear. See, the thing is, is I don't know about you, but there was a time in my life where I thought I could hold it all together myself. I thought I could have it all together. I thought that I'd be able to do it. And the thing, do you know what? I tried to cover myself, and it was a bit like the fig leaves and the, and the twigs. It just didn't work. And all the bits that should be in were out. <laughs> just noticing all the visual people in the room. Susie's a visual, I can tell. (laughs) But the thing is, is that God covers us better than we could have. See, the thing is, for some of you today, some of you have walked in, and you're currently wearing what others have given you. You're like the hand-me-down kid. You're the person who um, is just... um, basically absorbs the clothing or absorbs the coverings that people give you. You're an idiot. You're worthless. You're, um, you'll never amount to anything. Um, you're a failure. Whatever it is, what's happened is that you've had someone speak stuff over your life and you've decided to wear it when actually God never called you to wear that at all. You could be wearing what you've given yourselves. So you could be... in a. Where you are in your life right now could be a mess. And you're like, oh my goodness, I deserve this because these are the consequences of the choices that I've made. Now I have to live in this mess forever. It's like living in the pig pen when you don't feel good about yourself. But. 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 We could choose a different option. There's a different option available for you guys today. There's an option that covers your sin. There's an option that covers your shame. You see, you've got, a, you've got a loving Father. You've got a God who lives up in heaven that has given you something new to wear. Uh, Mary Angelou, uh, Maya Angelou, sorry, who's this amazing uh, writer, and, um, and she speaks to discrimination. Um, she, so she's an African-American poet who just writes the most beautiful... Um, most beautiful uh, books and most beautiful poems. But she's got this whole uh, this idea around um, ignorance and this idea, this idea around discrimination and, and all of that stuff. And this is what it says. 
It says, I did then what I knew how to do. When I knew better, I did better. So I did then what I knew how to do. When I knew better, I did better. So now that you know, what are you going to do? So if you come across, if you come across someone and they're covered in their own stuff and they're hard to be around and they're a pain and they're painful, as Christians, we now know, actually, they're just covered in their stuff. What they need is someone to help them clean off the stuff that is weighing them down. And that could be us. So we've got a choice. We can either cover our nakedness with whatever we have on hand, whether it's solid banter, whether it's masks that we wear, whether it's walls that we put up, whether it's bravado and false confidence, whether it's spikiness, I'll hurt you so that you don't hurt me, or we can choose to be vulnerable. We can choose to be clothed uh, clothed in the things that God has for us. You can, wear the world, uh, you can wear what the world labels you or the clothes that God's fashioned for you. So this is my older call. We've all been in that place where we've hidden from God. For some of us, some of us are still currently in that place where we're hiding. Why? Because we feel shame or we feel ashamed. And I've come here today to tell you that shame is not something that you have to wear. It's not something that God's given you to, uh, given you to wear. God can convict us. He can make us. He can convict us, but He convicts us to move on. He convicts us so that, oh my goodness, I feel bad about this. Lord, I'm sorry. Can you clean me? Can you clean me? Can you make me new? Can you give me something else to wear? He never called us to wear shame for a long period of time. So if that's you today, I'd love to pray for you. We've all been in that place where we've hidden from God. For some of us. We're just hiding from God, all of us. You might not know God and you'll want to know it. For others, we're just hiding certain parts of ourselves. It's like, the fig, it's like the fig leaf trying to cover up the bits that we don't want God to see. Is that appropriate? No, that's not appropriate. I've come here today. It's like, how crazy is it to try and hide from God? How ridiculous is it for us to think that we can hide We can show God this bit and this bit and this bit and yet hide this bit and this bit. And so I want to give you the chance today to do business with God. I want to give you the chance today to stand naked before God and say, God, this is who I am. You love me. You don't want me clothed in my stuff. You don't want me to be clothed in shame. But you've given me something else to wear today. See, the thing about God is that he knows you. He fully knows you. He knows the good stuff. He knows the bad stuff. He knows the highlights real. He knows the epic fail real. But he loves you anyway. And so um, if that's you today, what we're going to do, we're just going to put one more song on. um, And we'd love to pray for you. Shannon and I would love to pray for you. Um, If you don't know God and you want to get to know him, so you're still at the point where you, you, you actually just need to know him. We'd love to pray for you as well. So yeah, so that's what we're going to do. Let me pray for you guys. Lord, I thank you so much for this wonderful, this wonderful group of people. Lord, I thank you so much that you don't call us to live in sin and shame. You don't call us to live in our stuff, that you love us too much for that. Lord, but that you cover us. You cover our guilt. You cover our shame. You give us a new mantle to wear. Lord, I just pray that we have a greater revelation that we're your sons and daughters. We have a greater revelation that we are your kids. We're king's kids.
that we have a greater revelation, that we wouldn't listen to the labels that the world would um, ask us to wear, but that we would listen to your voice and that, and that we would be able to ask the question, who do you say I am? And so, Lord, I just pray for revelation today as we pray, as we do business with you, Lord. I just pray that you continue to speak to us and that we would have an awareness and an ability to hear. In your mighty name, amen.